and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, it really feels like winter is here this week. This morning was the first proper chilly run I've had this season and I bet you've all noticed it as well while riding and looking after horses this week. Our guest interview is with the Grand Prix dressage rider Hayley Watson-Greaves, who gives her thoughts on returning to riding after a break to have a baby. I think after having a child, I definitely say take your time and let yourself heal because <laughs> I was so desperate to get back on board. I actually got banned from the yard for a week because I was trying to get too involved and do stuff and I wasn't quite ready. I'll be catching up with our news team to talk about Poe Horse Trials, the Olympic format, horses working on different surfaces and fireworks. Finally, equestrian psychology coach Charlie Unwin gives his insight into what makes a great coach. Good coaches work, I think, just as much with the rider as with the horse. And by that, I mean they understand the rider, they understand what's going on inside. So that's enough of me. Do up your white boots. We're going to get in the dressage mood and get started with Hayley. I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm back with you today, joined by one of Britain's most popular and successful Grand Prix dressage riders. Hayley Watson-Greaves was crowned British national champion in 2017 with her top horse, Rubens Knight, known at home as Squeaks, and the pair also represented Britain at the World Cup final in Paris in 2018. Hayley took some time away from competing in 2021 to have her first child, daughter Alana, and has now returned to competition with a bang, winning the Grand Prix Freestyle at the recent Kiso CDI with Squeaks, their first international show together in over two years. Hayley, hi, how are you? Hi, yes, I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. Congratulations on your success at Kiso. Just tell me how it's been coming back to competing after having your daughter. Oh, it's, it's been incredible, really. Um, and it's been good to have an aim um, after having Alana. So my aim was to, to get to Kiso, um, which I thankfully did. Um, <laughs> and yeah, no, it's, it, after sort of a two year break, um, COVID being part of it as well in 2020, which for, for everybody really. But um, yeah, and then coming back this year, yeah, it just felt incredible to be back in the ring with him, to be honest. It was, uh, yeah, very. I was very excited going up mm. to Kisa, I have to say. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice to hear. And obviously you did incredibly well. I mean, how 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 was your performance? How did it feel in, in the arena? Uh, well, the, the Grand Prix on the first day, um, he felt just, I, I would call it on one. He just was... <laughs> tow me around in a nice way um, but just felt like he really wanted to be there um, and so I thought okay yeah we're, we're pretty fresh and then going into the freestyle I decided to use my uh, old music which I actually retired after winning the nationals um, and made a new one for the World Cup series and uh, yeah so I thought I'd use that because it's a touch easier not that much easier than my uh, current <laughs> one and uh, I just love riding to it and I thought I really want to go in there and enjoy it and as soon as the music went on he knew it, it was like Aww. he knew exactly what it was. He just lit up underneath me and went, right, okay, yes, I know we halt here. Yep, okay, we start off in half passes. And I was like, I was, I was smiling all the way around that test. Yeah. I just enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, that is yeah. so nice to hear. And Squeaks is 17 now, isn't he? I imagine he, he doesn't is. feel it. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> he, he, still, he still acts like a four-year-old, so... <laughs> 
Oh, bless yeah. him. That's so it. good to hear. Um, mm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about your partnership with him um, because you've had him since he was, was, it, was he a two-year-old when you two first got old. him? Yeah, yeah. I feel like we've been in a, well, I feel like we're married, basically. Um, we've been longer, <laughs> together longer than a lot of Your second is, marriage. So. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yeah, so 15 years it'll be. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and I I backed him and produced him and yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, really. I mean, it feels mm. like any, well, it, it does feel like I've, um, you know, I've done so much with him, but, uh, and it feels like a long time ago since I backed him, but I still remember it really well. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, how did you first come across him? I think, was it sort of slightly by accident? Yeah, he was advertised um, and I did go and see him, but I actually bought another horse at the time and I couldn't mm. couldn't afford to buy another horse. Um, and then a couple of months later, and he's actually in a field just up the road um, from us in Badminton. And a couple of months later, the lady rang me and said the owners were giving up um, and she needed the livery money for him. Uh, otherwise, he might have to be put down because she couldn't afford to keep him and nobody mm. else wanted him. Um, oh. So, yeah, I... I I said well I can't have that happening so yeah I, I gave her the livery money and uh, brought him home and that was that really <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of it all it was yeah and I actually <laughs> thought well I could probably turn him around and sell him because um, I had too many horses mm. but I did yeah I had a couple of people out to try him and I thought no I just I can't because he's quite sharp and yeah. I thought I just can't risk it and so I said I mean somebody was quite desperate to buy him I think because he was pretty but I was like no I, I I'm, I'm afraid I've decided to keep him and thank goodness <laughs> I did really it was like yeah sort of I guess it was a gut feeling that I thought actually you know I at the time I didn't think oh he's going to be a world beater I just thought you know he's too you know I'm, I'm just worried that he'd scare somebody I'm not very yeah. good at selling horses so if I don't think somebody's <laughs> suitable I will tell them and it's like, yeah oh the horse isn't suitable so yeah yeah, yeah, and he has he has been pretty sharp over the years, hasn't he? I know you've had to sort of overcome a bit of, of, sort of spookiness and things Spooky. like that in the arena. <laughs> yes, he, he sees Pokemons and ghosts and probably Kevin the Carrots in the arena sometimes. <laughs> he, just, he has his little moments, bless him. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it, you know, he... He does know his job and I've I've learned to kind of curb it a little bit and mm. kind of feel when he's about to maybe have a little spook. Um, but yeah, I mean, some, he used to be so concentrated on his work that if something distracted him very slightly, then he jumped. So it was almost like it took him by surprise. And then, you know, so occasionally as he got a bit older, he's, uh, you know, spots a flower that he doesn't quite like and is a bit like, I'm just going to eye that up because I think that might bite me. So... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my oh, gosh. And he's got a particular love for carrots, hasn't he? He does, yes. <laughs> he yeah, um he has his own carrot fridge. Bless him to keep his carrots nice and cool, especially in the summer. And yeah, we carry around his Kevin the carrot mascots. He does like to grab them by the um the, the Aldi uh sort of yeah. Kevin the carrot and he does like to grab the top of the the carrot and swing it round. Um I'm sure there's many pictures of him doing that, so uh, yeah. Oh, he is such an amazing character. He is. And I'm sure lots of people will will be able to sort of picture the two of you in, in the ring. He's got a particularly um a particularly amazing extent a trot doesn't he I'm sure people will will know yes it's um, a bit like flying and t well taking off I think <laughs> sometimes it's, and uh, yeah being able to see his front legs but the way he trots normally you'd never think he'd have mm. it in him so and if you watch him across the field which is normally when they prance around you know and you think actually that horse has potential he doesn't do any of that he trots around like 
I call him a, the little pony because he does trot <laughs> like a pony around the field. So, yeah, it's quite incredible, really. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Even more amazing to see what he can unleash in the arena. Yeah. Just tell us about some of the other younger horses that you have coming up. You've got a quite exciting small tour horse at the moment, haven't you? I do, yes. Uh, my uh, Hector Reva, I call him as a stable name, but his uh, show name is Hezel, which is a little bit unfortunate. <laughs> I'm not so <laughs> fond of that one. Bless him, though. He's, he is so cool. He's oh, he's so easy. Um, he's kind of, because I used to, back in the day, sort of sell the easier ones, but I actually mm. kept him, and I'm glad I did. I mean, he he's... Uh, He's got really athletic movement. Um, he can be quite lazy, but he likes to, I mean, he loves to, sh he loves to show off. So that's fantastic. Cause when he goes in the arena, he really sort of, you know, lights up, which is great. It's exactly what you want. Yeah. But I mean, you could put a small child on him and he'd plonk around the arena. You could go and do probably a prelim on him or you could do, I mean, he's training towards Grand Prix. Well, he's nearly at Grand Prix now. So, um, you know, or you could go out and do a Grand Prix on him. He's one of those horses that just literally would do anything and that's what I love about him I mean I can just you know get on him take him for a hack not have to worry about you know he's not spooky he's not silly um yeah he just super super horse absolutely oh, super horse fantastic so. he definitely sounds like one to look out for in the next sort of year yes. or so yeah um you must be really <laughs> excited about about having having another horse getting up to that top level yes yes I'm very excited yeah I mean he's already gone out to uh, a couple of sort of more local shows and done a Precinct Georgian and into a, into one and scoring, you know, seventy four percent. I think he got in his PSG. So um, yeah, I mean, he's really exciting for the future and hope mm. to do some sort of regionals and Premier Leagues with him and uh, yeah, hopefully international. Um, that yeah. would be my aim. Oh, that is so exciting. Just coming back to your sort of comeback to competition um, in the last few months, I wonder if you would have any sort of advice for other people out there who have um, had some time away to have to have a child or perhaps for other reasons. Any advice for people coming back to competing, coming back to riding after a break? What would you sort of suggest to help? Well, I think after having a child, I definitely say take your time and let yourself heal because <laughs> I was mm. so desperate to get back on board and I actually got banned from the yard for a week because I was, you know, overdo it, like walking around, just going, right, I, I want to get back on and sort of try to get too involved and do stuff and I wasn't quite ready. Um, so I had to, yeah, I did get my groom banned me from the yard and said, look, take a week out, don't come back <laughs> for a week, which was a little yeah. bit frustrating. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so sort of on that on that front, taking your time. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think the the biggest thing that I would say is actually to have an aim. So to pick a competition um, goal that you want to aim for. Yeah. Uh, rather than just thinking, right, I'm going to go out and do you know whatever level uh, you want to do. Uh, actually say right I'm I'm heading for this competition on this date and so then you can plan sort of back from the competition as to you know what what you want to achieve whether how many lessons you want with uh, you know your instructor or do you want to do any test riding beforehand and how fit you've got to be and you know it rather than just going I'm I need to go out competing and then never doing it because there's no plan sort of set in place. Yeah, really important to have that plan and, and to mm. sort of plan, I, ma I imagine, every stage in getting to that end goal. Yes. 
and sort of set, setting up the end goal and working backwards. I mean, there's no point in walk, working forwards if the end goal's a little bit uh, wishy-washy, um, yeah. shall we say. Um, but actually, if you've got a date in the diary and think, right, in you know two months' time, this is what I'm going to do, or a month's time, this is what I'm going to do, and then work back from from there and sort of focus on what you what you need to do to get there. Yeah, no, great advice. Um, and what about sort of regaining your fitness, having having had a child? getting back to being competition fit yeah I have to say that was uh shocked me actually how unfit I was <laughs> when I came back in um yeah I mean I did, to be honest I, when I was pregnant I did keep up my pilates um just online doing it through mm. zoom so that really helped me to kind of um you know keep keep some of my core muscles um and then when I started getting back into it I haven't I did some more Pilates myself at home to just try and obviously keep um my strength up but I had to take it easy um yeah and then just uh for me it was just riding um I think it helps that I do quite a few stable chores as well so like today my my one of my grooms is not very well so I'm on stable duty or horse duty as I call it so uh, <laughs> I like um, mucking out stables and that that all that keeps you fit as well so um I, I think it was about eight weeks after I had Alana, I went out to my first competition and I kind of wish I hadn't because afterwards I was a bit like, this is too, I've done it, <laughs> overdone it here and I was out of breath and I thought, oh my goodness. But yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, you know, keep up the riding, do some cardio um, and also Pilates, I think is really important for your core strength. I imagine being, having that level of fitness um, before you, before you had her was, was super important. Yes. I imagine that's sort of quite quite good advice to, to people is to sort of maintain a level of fitness um, to help with yeah, the comeback. Definitely, definitely. And that's, you know, I, I was adamant that I wanted to get back in the saddle, but I was also, although I said I was trying to, you know, I was getting frustrated and wanting to rush back into the saddle, um, I it wasn't um, a competition. Like I didn't think to myself, I didn't think, right, I need to be back in the saddle by them because I need to be out competing in this, that and the other because you just never know what's going to happen to your body. So I just had to kind of, yeah, rein that bit in, I think, and just think, actually, I've just got to take my time with this and and keep up my fitness as much as I possibly can. So, Yeah. yeah. And how about nowadays juggling parenthood and competing? How, How tough has that been actually, you know, combining those two things in your life? It's been pretty interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really lucky. Um, I rent the yard from my parents. Um, so my parents live on, on the yard and they are very, very keen grandparents. So um, it was kind of a deal that I had with mum and dad um, before we had Alana was the fact that they were going to have to you know, help where they could as much mm. as they could um, because I didn't want to give up my career and I can't, you know, just give up the horses. So they've been, you know, extraordinary. They've been helping out and it's enabled me to go back to work because obviously being self-employed, you know, and the horses don't pay for themselves. So, so <laughs> nope. you have to go to work and, and my clients were, you know, uh, aiming for championships and things themselves. So they wanted obviously um, help. And so, yeah, it's been really helpful having my mum and dad around I was because I'm very routine orientated but I think that's mainly horsey people mm. in general um <clears throat> I, w- I was thinking right this is the time I get up and then you know feed feed the baby and she can sit at the side of the arena while I ride and that did work for a time because she <laughs> fell asleep in the morning and it was all sorted you know and then she'd go to my mum for a couple of hours just so I could go off and teach a couple of lessons sort of build myself back into it again um but since she's got a bit older that's all fallen apart a little bit so I'm having to <laughs> lean on my mum a little bit more to 
you know, she's in the pram on the yard. She loves watching Hector, my small tall horse. So if you park her outside his stable, she finds him hilarious. Um, <laughs> but obviously I can't look after her and be riding while she's awake. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I have to have to ask my mum and dad to help out. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's so. a really important takeaway, actually, in not being afraid to ask for help so that you can juggle these things and, and yes. so many so many people you know would love to be able to continue their career and also have a baby and and so, you know it's, it's obviously harder for others than um than some but like you said being able to ask for help and sort of arrange how to to use the people around you um is is really important definitely i mean my husband had been sort of planning in the planning for years it was well i say for years but we weren't sure whether we wanted a family or not and then we were like okay if we're gonna do it we best do it now well there's a bit of a gap with the covid and, yeah. and then but it was also setting up a plan for afterwards like i said you know speaking to my mum and dad about it and making sure that everything you know i could go back to work and i could keep competing and you know doing what i doing what I do um yeah otherwise it would have been a lot harder to not have that sort of plan set in place um, absolutely yeah. so and so looking ahead into um well the, the rest of this year and next year what are your plans what do you have coming up well I'm hoping to do London XL so I'm hoping I've done enough to be selected um but we, we shall see obviously uh, it's uh, everybody wants to go to well as, as it was Olympia um yeah so that should be quite so that's the end of this year and I haven't actually come up with a firm plan for next year because I was going to see how sort of the tail end of this year went um, and also what happens with uh, Covid and sort of negotiating the whole getting over to Europe as well um because I've also got to you know Alana Come, comes with me to the shows so it's my husband actually came up to Kiso and and uh so was looking after her while I was competing which um so that's gonna probably have to happen next year as well because I don't really want to leave her um mm. you know back I want her to sort of while she's young be able to take her places and uh <laughs> yeah so I guess I, I'm sort of looking towards uh senior team selection uh next year um Squeak's don't know how many years he's got left in him he probably thinks he's got another 10 but obviously <laughs> <laughs> we will have to see so yeah it'd be really good to kind of um you know be on be selected for a senior team um and then potentially do the world cup series again because i absolutely love that and you know we're really blow my own trumpet here but we're pretty good at the music so uh yeah <laughs> seem to do all right definitely definitely so, yeah. well you've you've certainly had a lot of success on the world cup the circuit and i mean going to the the final in in 2018 must be one of the highlights of your career i imagine oh uh, yeah it definitely was it was a bit of a knife edge as to whether i was going or not um because i was just on the edge of the list um I think I needed like one more point or something to actually be on the list. And yeah, when unfortunately um, somebody had to drop out, I, I managed to get the place. And yeah, my goodness, what an incredible... I think my I've just suddenly had a flashback there to driving through Paris in an 18-ton lorry. And that's that was, well, that was quite a scary moment. But actually, once we were there, I mean, it was an amazing show, amazing experience and just the buzz and, oh, yeah definitely one of my highlights <laughs> yeah I can imagine um and I know the World Cup series is so so popular for a lot of uh riders for, for a lot of reasons but especially the ones who particularly love the the freestyle um but also indoors and I imagine for Squeaks competing indoors really sort of heightens his sort of presence in the arena yes it does yes I mean he does love a crowd um considering how spooky he is I would have thought with the first I remember the first time doing Olympia and like the crowds are so close and I thought oh goodness you know well I didn't think 
he might be spooky. I thought, yeah, this is going to be fun, a fun ride. We're probably going to be scooting around. But actually, he kept coping with it amazingly well. And he's very strange because he loves the crowds. And you'd think for a spooky horse, he wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, he loves the atmosphere at the indoor because it's a lot, lot more contained. Um, to be honest, he, he's pretty good outdoors as well. He, I mean, he loves the shows like Windsor. Because um, yeah. again, that's got a massive buzz around it. So mm. yeah, anywhere, anywhere that's got a bit of atmosphere. It's funny because when we're taking photos for photo shoots at home, you he won't do his big extended trot because I don't tend to do much of it at home anyway but so we have to clap um and cheer <laughs> to get him to sort of really pick up and that's what Aww. he's like he just loves loves the buzz it makes him sort of lift even more yeah <laughs> oh how lovely he is such a special horse and it is so he fantastic is. to see the two of you back out competing um and on such great form as well well Haley, before we let you go i really also wanted to ask you about your other younger horses we've talked about lovely hector um but tell us about your other youngsters that you have that you're excited about for the future yeah i have uh javaro he's a seven-year-old and he's by everdale which i'm was really exciting as Everdale's just come back from the Olympics and uh, doing so well. So that's fantastic mm, to have a young horse by such a, an amazing stallion. And uh, yeah, he's currently working at Advanced Medium and he'll be out uh, competing on the circuit and getting a little bit of muzz um, under his belt, hopefully. And then my other one is, well, his stable name's Flame um, and his show name is Feels Like Gold. Which oh, lovely. I think I bought him more for his name. <laughs> but no, I'm joking. Yeah, he's uh, he's five years old. He I bought him as a six, uh, he was about 16 too, um, as a two-year-old and he is now 18 hands. Oh, um, <laughs> Very, very leggy and elegant. And um, I just, I mean... I absolutely adore him. I, from the moment I saw him, I fell for him, and he—I've th- got exceptional high hopes for him. I think he's going to be my next uh, world beater. No offense to Javaro or, or uh, <laughs> Hexa, but um, you, you know I've kind of got a, a lovely bond with him. So mm. yeah, I mean I'm excited about them all, but you know there's, they have to have that extra something for the the real real top levels. So definitely, only time will tell. <laughs> Very exciting. We will be looking out for those definitely. Yeah. Well, Hayley, thank you so much for joining us on the Horse and Hound podcast today. We are really excited to see you and your lovely horses out and about in the months to come. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm joined today by all three members of the Horse and Hound news desk. So first of all, it's hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How's it going, Eleanor? Oh, I'm absolutely freezing and I know it's only November and we've got a long haul to go, but I'm already getting my ski jacket out and my thermal gloves <laughs> and struggling already. <laughs> I did actually say in the intro to this podcast that today was my first run feeling like it was actually winter this morning. So yeah, it's definitely coming. It's going to be great. It's going to be all, you know, bright, bright mornings, sunshine. I was going to say bright, frosty mornings, but then it's just frozen water tubs, isn't it? But it won't be long till spring. Let's, let's look at it like that. All right. I feel that that maybe Becky Murray, our news writer who's joining us from Scotland, may be experiencing worse cold. What's it like there, Becky? I was going to say, I bet it's colder up here. Um, well, we've just mainly had rain, to be honest. So lots of mud, which is just glorious as always. So, But I'm determined to stay positive this year and not let it get me down. So that's <laughs> positive thinking. It won't, it won't be too bad. Let us know the secret. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I hope you can impart that to Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and finally, we also have our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are you doing, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you, Pippa. I've I've been covering Poe this week. 
Yeah, that is such a lovely event in the uh, south of France. There's always a bit of late sunshine there, although also some rain this year. But as you say, you were covering the event for us and it was the final five-star of the European season. What happened, Lucy? What were the headlines? Oh, it was so exciting. It was, I think I called it in my report, a bit of a stellar nebula in that there were so many stars born, which I love. I love it when you see, you know, even just a couple of um, of new riders or horses to watch. But Poe, we were just spoiled. There were so many. Tim Price won with Falco, who uh, the horse is a first timer at this level. And their performance throughout was just it was flawless really on the last day that horse was giving the fences so much air that you could hear gasps from the crowd um so that was that was fabulous and yeah in second was tom McEwen on on a rising star who's flown a bit under the radar really chf kuliser who's a fabulous mare um chestnut mare again stepping up to this level for the first time and she just looks so exciting for the future as well um what did you think pippa well lucy i'm gonna be honest i had to look up Stella Nebula when you wrote it in your report and I was impressed with the width of your vocabulary and I had a little think about whether our readers were going to know what it meant and then I was like oh they're just gonna have to look it up if they don't everyone's got Google so uh, so well done you there foxing me but um, yeah as you say it was a real event for for young horses for up-and-coming stars and some young riders as well you know there were some British first timers not all all that young but um, you know inexperienced riders at the level first timers at five star who really caught the eye and I know that was a, a big sort of theme of the week for you as well Lucy who stood out for you I'm going to go back to Saturday and talk about Bobby Upton's cross-country round on Cola because that was possibly one of the most exciting five-star debut cross-country rounds I've watched in a, in a while I think uh, what really stood out to me about that was how confident the pair looked I mean their trust together we know that you know they've got a, they've got a very strong bond those that horse and rider combination but five star is is a big step up I know people talk about that all the time um but it is it is another level she's a very forward rider um their round was very flowing um she looked as if she wasn't ever having to touch the reins and actually I spoke to her afterwards and she said you know um Cola was having a little look at the beginning and so that actually kind of suited him that she you know was pushing him forwards and they were the third combination to go there had been quite a lot of mutterings about whether whether the time was going to be achievable uh, 11 minutes 50 is one of the longest five-star courses we've had in recent memory i did a bit of number crunching and went back and found some uh, some stats from from the last few we've had but they just showed it was it was absolutely doable and I think that possibly gave quite a lot of confidence to to some of the others watching them uh, as well so it's made even more impressive given Bubby had quite a nasty fall earlier this summer and she broke her back and her collarbone um, so to even be back riding is 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 impressive and the round that they gave was was extremely impressive um pippa for you who 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 the other first timers stood out yeah i'm going to give a shout out to kylie roddy she actually finished best of the british first timers in the final shake-up in 11th place and kylie is not not so young as bubby she is in her late 30s um so a big achievement for a rider to finally get to that level who's sort of built everything from scratch she's from a non-horsey family um she does an awful lot of teaching and and so on to sort of fund her her renting career and make her business work and has a great relationship with the fox family's srs can do 
And um, they had a great all-round performance, double jumping clear to add to a 29.1 dressage just a few seconds over the time in both both jumping phases. So that was really impressive. And my other one, Alice Caspin, only 19 years old, riding a second-generation homebred in topspin. She went clear cross-country. Well, again, double jumping clear. Um, so, again, a really, really impressive performance and promising for the future. Yeah, there was so much to talk about, really. And going back as well, looking at the top end of the podium, we had two prices on the podium, actually for the second time at a five-star this year. Um, Even more impressive that they did that on both of them on different horses on both occasions. So Janelle Price was third on McLaren, who was a former ride of Mark Todd, went to the World Games with Mark Todd, and this is his first, you know, five star with Janelle and that is a lovely little horse he's so, I hadn't realized how small he was either um but such you know so gutsy such such fight out across country and then to come out and jump so well on the last day and Janelle actually finished on the same score as Tom McEwen in second but she had a few time faults and I think that second in the show jumping of the cross country probably she said in the press conference afterwards, you know, it's if that she had been told at the beginning of the week that she would be on the podium, she would have been over the moon. And she was still over the moon. But, you know, it's when it's one second, it, it's going to be a little bit of the what ifs, but a very, very exciting combination there as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, great, um, great week to finish off the sort of European five star season. And of course, our British eventing uh, affiliated season finished now as well for the year. But it won't be long till, till we're back out once we get through through the winter, which Ellen is looking forward to so much. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> I'm coming over to you now. We are looking back at the Tokyo Olympics. You have been working on a story this week about the FEI review of the formats of the equestrian sports at that Games. What's the sort of process? here for this review what's been happening yeah so they they did say uh, they have said throughout that they were going to do um a full review of the how the new format worked in tokyo and and we reported actually back in august um that, that they were then still intending to do a thorough debrief uh, of the format see what can be bettered but they did say at the time that the changes that were brought in this year were needed to keep the sport in the games um, so this has been about, they asked, they went to all the national federations and some other stakeholders for feedback and uh, 17 national federations responded by the deadline of 15th, the 15th of October, both on the overall format and qualification. Okay. And among those federations who gave feedback, were the sort of British and Irish federations among those? British Equestrian didn't comment uh, either on the qualification or the format by the deadline, but they have said, it says in the feedback document, that they're going to comment in due course on the format. Horsesport Ireland has asked that that there be a proactive discussion on qualifying at the FEI General Assembly, which is in a couple of weeks. But they came out quite strongly against the format. They said it didn't serve the athletes, the horses or the global image of equestrian sport very well. Um, And they've said, actually, I think every federation who commented on the the format has said they want four rider teams back in the in, in all Olympic disciplines. Uh, the Irish said the three rider format for eventing wasn't well received by owners, riders and chefs to keep. Uh, the German Federation said four rider teams are better for horses. There were some very, very strong comments. The German Federation said um, we must not compromise horse welfare for the sake of having more flags. 
Mm, and I was I was going to say were those sort of the same themes coming out from different federations, but it's obvious from what you're saying that that very much was the case. And I noticed that one of the federations sort of mentioned mental health of uh, of athletes as well, and that having a competitor sort of be on standby in the eventing and and and, and never compete was uh, was a lot to ask of somebody. Yeah, and it must have been really tough for those people, you know, who went all the way out there, travelled the horse all the way out there, and then weren't allowed in the Olympic Village, not called an Olympian. It, it must be really tough. Mm. And of course, reserves have been part of the Olympics for a long time and mm. a part of every championship. But to go and I think all the way through not knowing at every stage if you were going to ride is tougher than being a reserve and knowing once the competition starts, you're out, which was the difference this time. So we're seeing quite a lot of the same themes there coming out from the same federations. What happens next with this review, Eleanor? So the, the technical committees are going to sort of talk everything through, have some major discussions. It will be discussed throughout the FEI. And then we will hear more at the General Assembly, which is the 14th to the 17th of November. Okay, well, it'll be really interesting to see whether there is any movement around any of these issues, because I know that, you know, there were reasons for, for what happened and, and taking those teams down to three members particularly, but obviously it's met with a real backlash. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if there is any movement in, in how we go forward from this point. Thank you, Eleanor. Lucy, as well as reporting Poe this week, you have been looking at a study about how horses move on different surfaces and around shoeing and how that interrelates as well. Who carried out this study and what were they looking at? Yeah, really interesting study, actually. It was carried out by the Royal Veterinary College, who had some funding from the Horse Racing Betting Levy Board. And they worked with Farriers and the British Racing School down in Newmarket uh, to have a look at the relationship between the way horses' legs move uh, when galloping on different surfaces uh, with different shoeing methods. And the intention of this was is basically to see, and what we all want, um, to see if they can find any links between that in preventing injuries and looking at how that impacts performance. So it's quite, it's quite a detailed study. There's quite a lot of scientific language in there, but it is really worth picking through because what this hopefully will be it's is a you know it helps to build a bit of a platform from which you know more studies more studies can come okay and uh, lucy for those of us who probably aren't going to go away and pick through we're relying <laughs> on you to summarize for us what did they find out so they were looking at breakover duration which in simple terms when horses hoof hits the floor it's the time and the rotation that that does between landing and picking up off the floor again which goes through about an angle of about 90 degrees and they were looking at that as I said on different surfaces different showing methods and different speeds at gallop and what they found was that the duration was increased on turf compared to artificial track and that the non-leading hind limb was additionally sensitive to shoeing condition and breakover duration was also found to decreased so it, it took less time as the speed of the horse increased and they found that that was particularly marked in the hind legs compared to the front legs when galloping above uh, 45 miles an hour so sorry that's quite a lot of information to take in there and you're probably thinking well, what does that matter what does that mean but that's kind of the point is that that that's interesting they found that that's almost a bit like a corner piece of a jigsaw from there they can say right now we know this happens um what does that mean um where are we going to look next basically it's all about forming a bigger picture and the more that we know the more data we get um as an industry as horse people and scientists um about the way horses move and about the way they interact with surfaces and chewing and things the more they can start to build bigger pictures narrow that down into sort of further findings and more applicable findings 
findings, if that makes sense. Mm, interesting. So it sounds like there's some more research to do building out from that. Are there takeaways for the studies right now? Or is this all about the first stage of research more to do before it becomes practical? Bit of both, I think. Um, so I spoke to Dr. Kate Huron, who pointed out that there are a few findings that could be useful in real terms now. She said it could be helpful for trainers to pay attention to the non-leading hind limb if they're considering changing a horse's shoeing condition. Um, and they also might want to pay particular attention to that again when sort of after any shoeing changes as well. But as I said, the whole ethos behind this is about reducing injuries which is something we all want <laughs> we all want that to happen whether you're in racing whether you're a sport horse or whatever your connection to the horse sport horses is and it is all about building that bigger picture if you like uh, rather than being a complete end goal in itself there's been some other research that they've been involved in in terms of uh, jockey perception of, uh, of slippage and horse movement um, and there is some more research already in the pipeline so I think this is kind of a, kind of a step along the way um, if that's not a terrible pun uh, when talking about um, horses hooves and the way they move and hopefully getting to a place where we are further reducing injuries in in horses. Thank you Lucy it sounds like an interesting one and of course we'll be keeping an eye if they do some more research. Finally it is of course bonfire night this week. Becky you've been working on a timely story about fireworks I think there are some statistics out which have led to this what have you found out? Yes, the British Horse Society has provided me with their latest uh, stats and um, last year there was 193 firework related incidents reported to the BHS and this is actually up from 117 the year before. Now certainly there were some concerns last year that with lots of the bigger displays being cancelled owing to the pandemic that more people might have private displays at home. Whether that sort of ties in with this or not, we're not sure. and. In the last six years, 22 horses have died and 197 horses have been injured in firework-related incidents. I think one thing that has come out of this is that it's estimated by the BHS that only one in 10 incidents are reported. So in fact, these figures could be much higher, which is a real concern. And I think there are some new laws around fireworks in place in Scotland now. Can you just tell us about those? Yes, Scotland has been quite progressive when it comes to firework regulation and um, new laws came in this summer and they restrict the time of day fireworks can be bought and let off and the volume that can be sold to the public. And we also covered a Scottish government consultation earlier this year in which there's proposals around licensing and bringing in more mandatory conditions around buying fireworks. And we're waiting on the these findings of this consultation being released but there could be sort of more regulation to come yet. Hmm, sounds like Scotland's leading the way there and um, I know some of the charities are hoping that England and Wales could sort of follow along in their footsteps and if anybody does have an incident with fireworks and their horses this month or at any other time Becky where should they go to actually report it? The British Horse Society have an app um, called the Horse Eye app which is free to download so all incidents can be re uh, reported on that and the RSPCA has also launched a new incident reporting tool online. So ideally if people could report to both of them, it's really beneficial the charities have these figures for campaigning and so it's quite an important thing to do um, reporting incidents. 
Thank you, Becky. Well, of course, hoping that nobody does have an incident with fireworks and, and their horses. But if it does happen, it's good to report it so that, as Becky says, those organisations can, can gather data and use it for campaigning. Thank you so much, Becky, and to Eleanor and Lucy for joining us today too. Now we're going over to performance psychologist and mental coach Charlie Unwin. Charlie works across sport, business and the military and helps riders to optimise their performance from the inside out in training and in competition. He's passionate about working with equestrians because the horse's performance is an extension of the riders. His clients won an incredible four gold medals at the recent Olympics in Tokyo, as well as three silvers and one bronze. Over to you, Charlie. In our previous episodes, we've been talking all about the psychology of performance on your horse uh, and for riders. And in this episode, I was really keen to look at the psychology of coaching. What is it that coaches do or don't do that get the best out of their riders, especially in a sport where it's so easy to be focused on the horse? The horse is this magnificent animal that draws the eye, especially when everything is done so well. And yet it can be very uh, easy to forget the role that the rider has. And good coaches work, I think, just as much with the rider as with the horse. And by that, I mean they understand the rider. They understand what's going on inside not just on the outside with their sort of technicality, the technical movements, the aids, but on the insides, their, their thoughts, their feelings, their insecurities, their, their focus. Uh, and in doing so, I think good coaches are able to build a high degree of consistency with their riders to help them perform under pressure. This is an area that I've been really passionate about, uh, passionate about because in working with riders for so long, it dawned on me that I could only have so much impact. I could only work with so many riders. And yet it was coaches who spent most of the time with riders. It was coaches who influenced their riders the most, positively or negatively. And there is a huge amount of psychology that sits underneath coaching in itself. And I suppose I'd like to share with you some highlights of what that might look like. Now, it's a huge topic. And so all I can really do is perhaps offer you a summary in this. But if you're interested in this and would like to learn more, then do uh, by all means visit centre10.com where we have um, some extensive uh, ideas and programs that explore this topic area. Now, for me, it breaks down into three separate areas. The first one is, is for a coach being able to focus on themselves as an individual. What is it about them, their experience and their knowledge, yes, but also their personality, their preferences, their body language, their emotional intelligence, their ability to ask good questions, which impacts the rider. And then the second part is focusing on the rider. Uh, what is it about the rider that might influence the consistency of their performance? For example, their mindsets, 
how can coaches better get underneath the surface of their riders to understand why they did something brilliantly one day and then when they tried to do the same thing the next day they really struggled so being able to focus on the rider as a person as a human i think is an important component of the psychology of coaching and then finally focus on performance being able to understand performance as a function of of goals as a function of feedback uh, of focus uh, with all the tools that go with it that we've discussed in previous episodes so just to uh, unpick those three things a little bit more what are some more specific examples when it, when it comes to focusing on self as a coach what is it about different coaches that they may bring to the equation to the performance equation Something I've learnt about coaches is that they all have their own brands and if they don't realise that they have their own brands it might be that they don't necessarily do that particularly well but coaches are as individual as the riders. They all have their own identity, they have their own preferences and by understanding our own personalities and preferences uh, by understanding what is it about our past that's kind of led us to those personalities, those preferences, uh, then we can't necessarily or we won't be aware of how they affect the rider. It's not so much about right or wrong, but it's just being aware of how our own preferences and identity affect that of the rider. A really simple example of that and something which in Centre 10 we've really challenged in coaches is their own business model, for example. So what I mean by that is traditionally coaches get paid by the hour and you'd pay a coach and the coach feels like they're adding value by being able to provide instruction and coaching to that rider in the saddle for an hour. So what would happen if that coach worked with the rider out of the saddle? Would the rider still want to pay for that? And these are some of the challenges that I think coaches face. There is no doubt that I think coaches have to be able to work with the rider out of the saddle as well as in the saddle. They've got to be able to talk about goals. They've got to be able to reflect and spend time reflecting on what happens. Uh, what progress we're making, how do we accelerate that progress, what have we got to work on. But in a way, I think a lot of coaches feel like they're only able to add value when, when those riders are in the saddle. So there are challenges like this, which, which I think we always have to be able to address. Belief and mindsets. It's fascinating through research how one's belief or a t the belief of, say, a teacher or a manager impacts the performance of the team that sits underneath that, that teacher or manager. So this was first discovered in rats, funnily enough, where students, a bunch of students, were given a set of lab rats which they had to train how to successfully negotiate a maze as quickly as possible. One, uh, one set of students were told that they had the clever rats who were maze bright and one set of students were told that they had the unintelligent rats who were maze dull. And funnily enough, the students with the clever rats 
we're able to teach them to get through the maze significantly quicker than the students with the dull with the maze dull rats. Of course, what were they told at the end of this experiment? That in fact there was no difference between the rats whatsoever. They were all equally as intelligent. What can we conclude from that? Well, clearly the only thing that could have possibly influenced the performance of the rats were the attitudes and beliefs of the experimenters. This is profoundly important when it comes to coaching because we're working with people, not even rats. So if that effect still is present with, with rats, which let's face it, we can't verbalize with rats. So it just goes to show that there's still something that they're picking up on. Maybe the amount of commitments, the amount of patience, the amount of time they spend that is stopping the rats from fulfilling their potential. Uh, humans are far more complex than that. Uh, we have language. We have uh, a greater connection and relationship. So that uh, effectively, that, that effect could be amplified hugely in humans. And of course, we're working with a horse who's probably being influenced by the same things. So one of the essential elements in working with coaches is being able to understand that the beliefs that they have about their riders. And I guess the final element, which I'd highlight in, in this, is just about being able to have better conversations out of the saddle. Being able to accelerate someone's progress relies on us being able to help them draw the right connections in their own minds. I believe probably the most important role of a coach is to help a rider know their own minds. Because once you've got them technically doing the right thing, it's then about them being able to get to that point by themselves. When they're in that start box, when they're entering the arena at A or going into a show jumping arena, they have no one else other than themselves. And if they don't have the security or confidence to know not just what they've got to do, but why they're doing it, then they're never going to perform to the same level. And that is much more than just about working with people in the saddle. That's about being able to sit down with them and help them to build confidence in their own mind, asking questions, being curious, helping them make connections for themselves based off their experience. And that is an activity that has huge value to, to riders. It's an activity that obviously I get involved with, but I passionately believe that many coaches could be doing what I'm doing in that regards and adding huge value. That's just a snapshot. There are loads of others like being able to tap into the motivation of your riders, being able to help them deal with success and failure, work with the right wider team, parents, even farriers, uh, equestrian professionals. But hopefully that gives you an insight and has at least got you thinking about the important role that coaching has and the psychology of coaching. I wish you the very best of luck. Thank you, Charlie. And a big thank you to Charlie for all his brilliant insight over the past eight weeks. Next week, we'll be starting a new advice series. We're back with trainer Jason Webb, this time to talk about starting young horses. Our interview will be with leading jumps trainer Dan Skelton, taking a look forward at the national hunt season. And of course, we'll review all the week's news as normal. Thank you for listening to the Horse and Hound podcast. 
If you're enjoying it, please do rate, review and share it in your podcast app so that we can keep growing our podcast family. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.